Tales of Tiladar from the Perspective of Loon of Voice, Chapter 1. I found myself as a child, no older than six, sitting in front of the gate, the magnum opus of someone that allowed the viewer to see into the Feywilds. The sound of steps interrupted my searching. Are you Loon? A voice from behind asked. Yes, and... Who are you? Have you got any spare money? I'll ignore the second question. I am a jinn. As I turned, I saw a, the gold dragonborn that was speaking to me. I come to take care of you. Read this. In my dream state, I could not make out the letter, but I remember enough what it said. It had been addressed to a jinn. Signed by my father, Soros Overwise, who had disappeared about a year after I was born. And said that if anything befell Soros, Ajin was to take custody of his child, referred to as Little Loon. From that day forward, I would study under the dragonborn Ajin. Little did I know that he was an alcoholic. Then I was older. Somewhere in my twenties, a woman approached me. I did not know then, but the angel of an Aladrin in front of me would soon be my wife. Next was my marriage. Strange for elves to be married so young, but it was accepted for those who didn't dream. Then my son was being born. Alicia and I agreed to let our new son dream rather than live the pain we did. The next generation would hopefully have the experience of an elvish dream. Next I was leaving the house. I was going Ronin. Alicia made me swear to come back in one piece. After some bantering she kissed my cheek and bade me good luck. Then a jinn threw a book at me and my focus crystal. The book was my spellbook. When will I use this? I asked. I can't even cast spells. Ajin responded, sounding much soberer than when I first moved in. Adventuring can develop your brain, lad. You may be casting before you know it. The image of warmth swirls into a new scene. I find myself in a prison. It appears to be more of a guardhouse, staring down at a disheveled woman. Miss Gala. I knew I was saying Miss Gala, but for some reason I had used that cursed language. The guard shivered and the torches flickered. Darkness. My vision adjusted and I saw I was in a cave. The dragonborn Osama was next to me. My rapier was drawn. The paladin Grim and the new half-elf Belzerin had just fished the guard out of the water. The demons then made an appearance. The paladin flinched, then silence. For a moment, no time passed. Then, all-consuming light. Next, I found myself trying to hide my ears while traveling through a swamp. Then a flash. Cut to me projectiling Belzerin into a chapel. I had switched seasons in the heat of the moment. Using the face summer, I teleported the crippled Belzerin into the Chapel of Helm. I turned to see the ogre zombie that now loomed over just me. Then the features of the ogre shifted, 
and it became a one-legged man. The man was speaking to Grim and me, but all the words were muffled now. Shifting again, we were all now in a fortress wall. I had thrown a severe of ice at the wretched orc who commanded the zombies. In the split second, Grim and Belzrin shot the great bow's arrow through the ice and tore the orc's arm off at the shoulder. Suddenly, I was now running. I knew there was a sinkhole behind me, and I heard the sound of heavy plates slam into the soft swamp floor. Once on a card, I looked back. The paladin was now dressed in a fine set of silk long johns and was crying. The plate fell into the sinkhole below. With a mighty leap, Grim made it onto the cart. I was in. The half-elf was not as fortunate. I murmured a hurry prayer. My lady, save him. The words came through the audible muffling like a torch cutting through darkness. An ethereal white hand swept down and grasped Belzerin. He was now in the cart. Next to us in a house made of brambles, trees, and assorted plant life. I was speaking to a man who looked like a tree himself, but I could not make out his words. The dragonborn was back, and he had a goatee now. The reunited party went to a strange portal deeper in the swamp. The construct burned away so quickly in the elemental chaos seen through the portal. And then there were bugs. Thousands of bugs. Creepy, crawly critters that raced up and down the destructive portal like ants serving their queen. All I could remember is running. Now I was in a city. I was still running, but not in a swamp, and the paladin was not with us. Noise, unbelievable noise, was coming from behind our party. Spiteful words were being thrown at Osama by Belzerin and myself, and the dragonborn was... laughing? Next, a priest was kneeling over a dead man in the street. I held up a fist-sized diamond, and I had found traveling. It was turned into dust in the ritual, but the man was saved. Next, I was fighting bandits. We were on a road, and bandits had attacked. I fell into one of their punji pits. Throwing myself from wall to wall, I flew out of the hole and whipped a lasso of lightning out, drawing the nearest bandit nearer still. I cleaved him in twain with my scimitar. Now I was somewhere else in the road. There was a fire. A raging inferno. And out rode a single demon on a headless horse. In the moment I had known exactly what the horse was, that necromancer Osama had cursed someone's blade, and that sword had been used to decapitate a horse. And the demon being free was my fault. A while ago I foolishly scratched a symbol. The demon had companions now. I prayed for my life and that of my companions. Lady Selyun answered. Two men shot down from the sky. Pure white was their form. Their sickles they wielded were not for cutting grain. Run, they urged me. I did. We rode on for miles. The image faded. Now I was on a ship that was just too small for me. Grim had found it. It was a ship that went through a cave system. I was spending time talking to the little girl we saved up in the swamp down. It felt so long since we had seen Eri. Then darkness. The smell of fish. 
an eye than nothing. Now is in a city, a mucky, dirty part of a city. A demon had shown up to the enchanter that we were supposed to apprehend. The bastard got away with our mark. The con would be pissed. Hell, I knew he was. Then I was in a cave. A masked suit of armor stared at me with empty, green, glowing sockets. We ran through the door in the corner of the coffin room as more of the mechanized men fell from the walls. We'd bitten off more than we could chew there. Now I was in a crowded meeting. Noise in the room stopped and several dwarves came out from the ground. One wore a crown of stone. Then elves arrived. I was happy to see some brethren from the forest. But they all looked war-ready. Well, except for the young one. He didn't even carry a sword. Next was a street fight. Osama had hit a kid, and was apparently the last straw for Grimm. He beat Osama to the ground next to unconsciousness. I stood by and took bets. Serves the bastard right, I thought. When the guards came, Grimm barked them away. The guards obeyed and went back from whence they came. Next I found myself in a swamp. Danker and darker, this one. The guard was back. Terence was his name. There was something strange about him now. We were locked in combat with a beast of old. Osama shot lightning through the thing, and it let out a dying attack, scourging Osama. Now I was in a room that could not exist. Osama was being an idiot and put the strange heart he found on a book. Evan Strahd. I felt my blood boil and my ancestors call. I hexed the vampire lord, which turned out to be a mistake. Now I was marked. And grim too. Damn it. Then we were in a church. Terence and Grimm prayed their way out of that wretched town we were in, and my patron dragged me out into the surrounding swamp. We had left Osama. Good riddance. Now I saw a crystal white skull floating in the void. Finally, I had control over my body. I moved towards the skull. The skull retreated. I talked to the skull. Shalach, my patron, responded. The cure for vampirism was discussed. Then I awoke. Too much had happened in the last few months. I packed up my small campsite. Everything went into my pack neatly. I hear something, my blade said. I looked up and spotted a pigeon with a letter in its claws. It slowed as it approached until it came to a stop flapping its wings to stay put in the air. I took the small parchment from the bird's talons, and the fowl flew away instantly. On sealing the note, I read, Lunavoice. This note is written by your friend, Lord Isaiah Beckham of Stormwind. An issue has arisen in our southeast border with a fabled beast. Some claim it is a dragon. Others say it is a purple worm. And skeptics claim that it is merely bandits. Nonetheless, we are in need of a hireable assistance. Please make haste to Stormwind once you receive this. More information will be given upon our rendezvous. Your friend, Lord Isaiah Beckham.
After reading, I turned my face skyward to the fading night. Can your quest wait? A response came promptly. Not for long, but yes, you may go on this errand. I decided it would be best to help my friend, so I hefted on my father's coat, packed up, and started off to the road. For five days I traversed the thick between swamp and road surrounding Moore's Ferry. It was night by the time I reached the main road. I spotted a small village just to my left. For want of rest and a bed and pint of mead, I wandered towards the town. Approaching the town, I looked at the village sign. The only legible letter was U, and the population read PP1, and then faded. Wandering through the town, the lights in the tavern were off. Only one store had its lights on. Entering the small alcove, I saw it was an antique pawn shop. Behind the counter, an old grizzled human sat. A katana, old and rusty, sat on the wall behind him. Sir, how much for the sword? I asked. The old storekeep hauled it off the wall and tossed it to me. You're the elf, he said. You tell me. I gave the blade a few spins and then readied it at an invisible enemy. I took a swing. The sword was perfect. The swing carried into another. And then another. And then another, one after the other, attacks flowed out of the blade, though rust and grit started flying off of the sword. Speed started growing, each attack going faster than the last, faster and faster until ten minutes had passed. Yet, no form of exhaustion come over me. My mind felt free. My body flowed and swayed as if in a rhythmic dance. A slow, sweeping blow was the final attack. The old man whistled. What's your name, young'un? Loon. I've been waiting for you for a long time. The old man then took out a sheath from below the counter. Take the sword. It's yours. I must pay you something, I protested. The man was taking everything off the walls. Some items were old enough that they turned to dust when he touched them. No, you don't. And no, you won't. I will not accept payment. Now I've got to get closed up. Do please be off. Waiting for only a moment, I tried to think if Belzerin wanted anything. That psycho always wanted something. In the moment, though, I could not remember what Belzerin needed. I left stunned, taking the sword and sheath with me. As the door closed behind me, I noticed that the town had disappeared, and so had the shop, and it was day. I looked down at the sword. Writing appeared above the blade. Obtained Katana. Then a sweet scent assailed my nostrils. Following the smells, I found a small encampment. A tent sat next to an active fire. A stew was cooking above the flame. The site looked abandoned. Searching about the tent, I found a small locket. Popping it open, I saw a portrait of an Eladrin. White skin, silver eyes, and a mane of white hair. The counterpart was obviously a woman, but the features were faded out by what 
appeared to be frequent rubbing. The man looked like me. A different jaw, different cheeks, and a several times broken nose. But the form looked like me. Only slight differences were in the portrait. Closing the locket, I placed it around my neck, presuming it was a memento of my father, or maybe myself. I was still interested in chronomancy. Perhaps later I would do something like this. Leaving the tent, I sat on a log, made a bench next to the fire. I decided not to eat until the potential owner of the camp came by. They never did. I spent the day cleaning the sword's sheath. As the grit and grime shed off the scabbard, beautiful silver was revealed. It crossed and twisted in beautiful patterns along the sheath, and the end of the black sheath was capped on solid silver. Scraped and dinged from use as a weapon, it was clear that whoever used this blade used the sheath as a shield or extra weapon. I then saw the name carved into the scabbard. Loon, it read. It was scratched in unceremoniously as if to show ownership. The last thing I noticed there was elvish cord laced around the open end of the sheath. After cleaning it, I placed the sword in its sheath and saw that the blade, too, was coated in purest silver that reflected the noon sun at me. Identified Loon's Silver Katana. Upon hearing the sword click into the scabbard, I began the weapon bonding process. I spent the rest of the day at that little encampment, and no one came. Finally, at dawn, I rose, hefted on my father's old vampire hunter's coat, and left leaving the stew untouched. When I got to the road, I looked back, and the tent, fire, and food were all gone. No village of you, no hunter's camp, just me. Me, the sword, and the road. Upon arrival at Stormwind, I was stopped by a familiar face. Loon! Terence called. Hello, Terence. I shook the young man's hand. Could you tell me where Grimm is? Oh, he is already inside. Told me to wait out here for you. Couriers said you were expected today, seems as how you took the long route. But never mind all that. Come in. At that, Terence directed me into the new Lord Belzerin's fortress. I entered the mess hall. It had been cleared of most of the low-ranking soldiers. At least, that's what Terence told me before saying you'd better go. After the boy had left, Grim and I locked eyes. The dwarf's scowl had not gotten any lighter, and as he stared, my neck started to itch, right where the two black markings were. I scratched through the new fabric collar. It stung. Grim turned back to his cheese, and I went to order wine. When asked how much, I responded, a pint. Without hesitation, the cook poured a coarse red wine into a flagon and handed it over. I went to sit with Grimm. We were still friends, but we just both made dire mistakes. Belzerin was off talking with what appeared to be two lieutenants. He still wore the gold plate we got from the warden's crypt. I shuddered at the memory of those automatons and drank faster as trying to drown out the memory. Upon spotting me, Belzerin dismissed the two soldiers and walked to the table. Coming with him was a tabaxi adorned with wizard escrows. I noticed they looked like those of an evoker. Thanks, Selune, it wasn't another damned necromancer. 
we started to go through introductions. Grim, Loon, Belzerin. And you are? asked Grim. Jacksonus boy, the tabaxi responded proudly. Everyone on the table suppressed a chuckle. So, Jacksimus, Grim composed himself. What are you doing here? I was called by the Lord, he said. I also remember you lot. You're the saviors of Mistborn, yes? I was part of the survivors. May the moon bless and guide those people, I thought into my tankard. What have you been up to, Bell? As Bell started to speak, the drapes fell. The red carpet going through the main walkway began to rise off the floor and crackle like lightning. With a flash of light, everything went white. As my vision restored, I could make out the form of Lord Beckham and his hand. Also, the arcanist, Eddie. Paladin Grimm, Loon, welcome back to Stormwind. Lord Isaiah began, I appreciate all of you coming here. My soldiers are too busy in the north, so I must hire your services. I can only spare a few men, and Lord Dumas has volunteered to go with you. The party shared glances at one another. Now to business, gentlemen. Show me your map. I pulled the stylized map out of the pack, then out of its case. We spread it onto the table, putting tankards and plates on the corners to hold it down. Lord Beckham circled an area around Rockfield, Sandstar, and Duvault. I ran my pencil behind his finger. He pointed out the road between Rockfield and Duvault. This is where most of the reports are coming from, Lord Beckham said. And you said some believe it's a dragon, I asked. It's a preposterous thought, but yes. I heard Jacksmith and Grimm murmuring in the background. I would have to explain the quest again. At least Belzun was paying attention. He had to draw a single triangle connecting Sandstar, Duvault, and Rockfield. So, the most likely place for this thing to be, if we are to assume that Sandstar is also being attacked, is here. Belzern put his finger on an unnamed woods south of Drake Swamp. That may be our best for now, Lord Beckham said. If not, I have a contact in Duvault. Her name is Orisynth. She's a seer. I stood back and looked at the map. The new guy Jacksmith was talking with Grimm in... Broken Vidalkin. From what I gathered, Jacksmith hated elves. He claimed that Bell and I were fine, though, because we saved Mistborn. He also claimed that he was from a second age, ordered by the king apparently to kill elves. Got lost in the woods, and by fate treachery, was sent out in the woods into this age. He made his way to Mistborn, and lived there until we showed up. What is this? Lord Beckham pulled me out of my eavesdropping, and was pointing at a small mark we had made in the warden's tomb. It marked a small castle. Uh, something we found while raiding a dungeon. Interesting. There are a great many abandoned keeps around there. Are there any villages of note? That is Krev. There. Lord Beckham marked a place with my pencil. That is all I know, though. Sir Bowserin, I trust you are taking men with you? I do apologize, but you are only allowed to take three. I want this to be very hush-hush. Understood, Understood, sir. Bell and I said in harmony. Now, gentlemen, both you and I must be off. Supply yourselves with whatever you see fit before leaving, but you must leave by the end of the day. Good day. The Lord and his aides stepped back into the carpet, and in the same bright flash as before, vanished. Bowserin led me to the storehouse. 
Grim and Jaximus were getting along nicely, so he left them in the mess hall. You are Lord Beckham? Take whatever you want. Bell said, opening the doors. A vast array of equipment was set before us. Belzerin walked up to the wall and started selecting items. I walked to the nearby wall. The book appeared in my hands. Off the paper, I started selecting items. Obtained three glass bottles, six daggers, five arrows, fifty feet of hempen rope, one pouch, two wrist sheets, one utility chest strap. Dropped crossbow, light, twenty crossbow bolts, eight darts. By the time I looked through the book long enough to find all this stuff, Grim and Jaximus had found us. The two were selecting stuff to take. I closed the book, and it vanished. Once we were all ready, we heard the sounds of hooves clopping and a horn. We all went out to investigate. It was a platoon of warriors calling for more men. Bell mounted a mighty horse and I sprinted beside him to the head of the warbond. We were told that they were rallying troops to head north to the front lines. Noting this, Bell quickly went back to his fort and rounded up three soldiers before the draft could take them. I walked back to the stables, where they were by the time I got there. We saddled up, mounted, and headed off east towards Duvault. The road was long. I predicted four days travel. As we rode along, Terence got to know the other soldiers. Their names were Johnny, Tommy, and Mark. One was a lieutenant and an archer. Behind Terence and the soldiers was Bell and I. Behind us was Grimm and Jaximus. They were speaking in some foul language. Bell and I were talking about where we were headed. I started to draw up an upscaled map based on our large map. We discussed many things that we knew about the area. Bell brought up things from his travels and intelligence, and I brought up things from my studies. We started marking important places on the new map. A waterfall near Krev. A windmill where an archmage died. Shortstack Brewery the druids in the drake swamp, and where the dragon most likely was. We decided it was a dragon, since Bell talked about a meeting with our mutual friend Tamaz. We figured the dragon was in or near the supposed keep of the unmarked lake. Since the lake was reportedly constantly electrified, and surrounded by dust sprites. We found a torn bag on the road. There was a young roch in it. I healed it and put it in the pouch that I took from the fort. We had a minor skirmish with imps. The archer Mark showed his medal. Nothing else much happened. At the end of the day, we were searching for a place to camp. I found a small hole in the ground. Then I called Tommy, Johnny, and Mark over to look with me. What do you think it could be? I asked. Perhaps an albeck grave, sir, Mark said. Albert Cave. Explain. Owlbears carve their caves into the earth for habitation. Rather than being like a normal bear, they dig theirs. You think it's empty? Could be. Seen it often enough. Only one way to know, though. Alright. Anyone got a shovel? Here, sir. Tommy said. Terence, you're probably the strongest one here. Do you want to lend a hand? I asked. Oh, of course, Master Lynn. Terence said cheerfully. I was getting tired of all these titles, but telling them off would be culturally wrong and awkward. The hole was eventually dug out to be about as wide as Grim was tall. 
Speaking of the paladin, he was still fraternizing with that tabaxi in that strange tongue. When the hole was done, I handed my rope to Tommy and Bell handed him a python. The lad slammed it into the ground and I headed down for recon. When I hit the floor, I cast let on a ring I got from an ancestral statue. Scanning the room, I saw something massive. Curled up in a corner and barely moving was a mass of fur and feathers. I disenchanted the ring and gave the agreed two tugs to say it was not safe. On the second tug, the python clattered to the floor. Thanks, Sally, and the floor is soft, I thought. I directed my voice to the hole and spoke in a loud whisper. Bell, get down here and be quiet. Bell's ring floated down with his propeller cap. He then casted light, which is both brighter than mine and floats in the air. He quickly turned it off when he saw the creature. We quickly tried to leave the cave. Bell took the collapsible ladder off of his pack and placed it against the wall. The hole was still about twenty feet away. I climbed to the top and tried to misty step to the surface. I failed. I fell to the ground. I awoke the owlbear. Damn it. The owlbear arose from its position and saw Bell. The owlbear took a mighty swing at Belzrin and stepped on top of me. I cast Guiding Bolt at the beast. It began to glow and roared in pain. Apparently it didn't know where the attack came from, since it didn't retaliate. The beast took a swing at Belzrin. It missed. Then it hit, cutting deep into Belzrin. I rolled out from under the beast, wielding my rapier, and made a few mighty thrusts at the beast. With the power of the guiding light, I stabbed it, and then... I was engulfed in fire and flame. This had happened before, but when I opened my eyes, the place I was standing was carved out of the fireball. I was on an island of safety. The beast wasn't. It roared and crumpled, falling to the ground, dead. When all was said and done, it looked like Bell did not get the same treatment with the spell. His robes were tattered and scorched. Well, that happened, he coughed. I looked up at the hole. The problem has been dealt with. Get your asses down here and secure the rope better this time. Certainly, sir, Mark said as he caught the python that Bell threw up. I heard hammering and the sound of rocks clanking together. All the soldiers slid down the rope, and Terence followed. Grim came down last, and Jacksmith climbed down the wall. It would have been nice to have had them twenty seconds ago. The soldiers started setting up camp. Grim, Bell, Jacksmith, and I went over to investigate some crates we saw in a corner. Nothing much was in them. It looked like a lot of letters and some personal memorabilia. At the bottom of one was a painting of a coffin in an office. That was strange. We were disturbed in our searching by a voice I found familiar. It was a black dragonborn. We first saw him in Silverfield, about two months ago. He told the fortune of me and Osama, then vanished in a puff of smoke, only to have us see him running through the crowd behind us. He mentioned that he had been geosed to capture an old friend of ours, Henry Armitage, but only after we found out he was carrying him around in a bag. While the others were talking to the dragonborn, I walked back to Armitage. We found a pack we think is yours by the road, I whispered. We found this in the bag. I had to heal him, but he's still injured. I held the young rock up and offered him to Armitage. You found Stephen! he exclaimed. He then tried to leave and was stopped by the dragonborn throwing some entanglement device at him. 
Later in the conversation, I slipped by the Dragonborn and untied Armitage. The Dragonborn explained that he was on a spell-driven quest to capture Armitage and bring him to someone in Moore's Ferry. They were doing a gambit, though, along the southern road where Armitage would, cleverly, escape and then teleport away thanks to his coat, rinse, repeat. Also, apparently this black dragonborn is supposed to be our contact as an underling of Orisynth. He said we could just wait in town if we ever needed advice on how to get the task at hand done. After a while, he left, being scared away by some spell Grimcast. Armitage left by using his coast. That is, shooting himself with a magic missile and making his coat teleport him. And then all was quiet. A light whoomp disrupted our conversation. I turned and noticed the vampire. I dashed over and let out a drawing strike with my new katana. Striking across its chest, I turned for another swing. But the undead caught it in its hand. The vampire then ran up the wall and I made chase. Running up the wall behind, I stopped at the opening. The vampire started to charge me. I stepped to the side and it fell down the hole. I followed. Dropping my katana and then jumping after it, I grabbed the blade and plunged it into the vampire's chest. Then I lifted my sword and attempted to sever the head of the vampire. It moved, blocking the blade with its helm and sliding it down onto its chest plate. It then drew a dagger and plunged it into my side. I felt the poison enter my blood. Then it bit my forearm. I dragged the katana along the floor towards its neck. It caught the blade with its teeth. I used my sheath to break the vampire's jaw. It connected, making a satisfying crack. Feeling the adrenaline, I made another offer at its throat. I dug the blade deep into the fiend's windpipe, with fire in my eyes, I buried the blade deeper. The vampire then made a slashing attack across my chest with its longsword. I felt the call for death and fought it. He then lodged the sword into my side. I buried the sword deeper and deeper into his neck, my body then thrust everything back into place as I pushed the sword out. The vampire thrashed beneath me, scratching my arms and chest. I grabbed its hair and tore its head from its neck. I picked up the sheath from where I dropped it to deal the final blow, flicked the blade out to clean off the blood, and sheathed the now-attuned katana. I bent down and picked up the head. Then I kicked the corpse more directly under the hole. Could you take care of that? I asked. The moonlight appeared to become brighter and brighter until it was a beam of white, blinding light. The vampire was reduced to ashes. I shook the blood off of my coat. Terence, ale. What the hell was that? Bell asked. Terence, ale. Y yes, sir. Here, sir. Terence said, handing me a tankard of ale. Thank you. I accepted the ale and offered him the head. Thinking better, I took the head back. Never mind. Could someone find me a head-sized box? I swigged the ale. We brought good stuff. Thanks, Terence. Again, what was that? Called Bell. Mmm. Vampire. I pointed my free finger to the blood-red lips with little fangs showing in the blood-red eyes. Now find me a head-sized box. 
We searched for the aforementioned head-sized box and only found one, already occupied by a head. We decided to just toss the head in Bell's bag of holding and be done for the night. Terence? Yes, sir. If anyone tries to wake me, tell them to shove off. I said, and then fell into my bedroll. I woke in the morning feeling surprisingly fresh, but if I was now missing a part of my vitality, there must have been something necrotic in those attacks. I meditated while the others all packed up. I barely heard the morning chatter. After that, I rose and followed everyone out into the day. There was a blizzard, apparently. I can't remember anything from then forward, but now I've woken up at the gate of Duvault. Tales of Teladar is written and produced by Alex Peer. All voices are done by Alex Peer. The character Loon is played by Alex Peer in a D&D campaign. All player characters, such as Grim, Belzerin, and Jaximus, are level 6 at current time. If you would like to support the creator of this podcast, you can find me on Twitch at Nacho Warlock and on Twitter and YouTube as well as Nacho Warlock. And us here at Studio Warlock would like to say safe travels and happy hunting. thing for the viewer that is still listening there is one more way to support me if you want to slide over to my patreon you can for three dollars get my video whoopsies my video goofs and you can get the unedited script of this and all subsequent podcasts directly sent to you only for three dollars link is in the description